0: Welcome to the Weekly Benefit Roast, featuring Benefit Indemnity Corporation's President Roger Bain. Roger has devoted more than 30 years to understanding and developing innovative health benefits plans for large groups and groups as small as five employees. Our moderator is Bob Graham. Take it away, Bob.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Hello and welcome to the Benefit Roast for June 17th, 2019. I gotta tell you, I am happy to be inside right now. Some people in the building where I work, we're out doing some outdoor work and I've worked up quite the sweat this afternoon. But because of my sweat, I did some thinking and this week we have two people, not one person on the uh, webinar and podcast. We have Roger Bain, the president of Benefit Indemnity Corporation, who you've probably heard before. And with us also this week is one of Roger's senior brokers, Daniel Single. Did I get that title right, Dan? Consultant. Consultant. I'm sorry. Senior consultant. I apologize. And we're going to be talking today about one of my favorite topics with self-funding, which is the claims surplus checks and where they go. And this is one of those things that I think some people might think of as a myth, but that's why we've got Dan on this discussion because he's actually the lucky guy who gets to do something with these surpluses. Dan, why don't you tell us what you do with those surpluses and then tell us how they come about.
2: Well, I've managed to come across a lot of nice restaurants. <laughs> or, you know, um, and that's it's actually the favorite part of my job is giving out big refund checks because the customer's always got a smile on their face. We get to make the broker look really good. And uh, we actually get some FaceTime with them to talk more about the plan and get them a greater level of
1: understanding. So walk us through for some of us this seems almost impossible that there might actually be a refund check. So walk me through this whole process that they're getting this check. What has to happen for that to happen and how often does that happen?
0: Well, let me let me
1: interject for no, a minute, please, Bob, roger, because sure.
0: we in in layman's terms, we talk about refund checks all the time, but let's make sure we we know that it's not really a refund. It's the customer's money in the first place. It's always been their money. And if it doesn't get spent on benefits, they get it back. So when we say we call it a refund, because we're, like holding a tax it, refund. we're holding it for convenience so that we can process and pay claims expediently. But the reality is it's their money in a separate bank account at the administrator. So it's really, yeah, more like a tax refund. It's their money anyway. They're just getting back because they didn't spend it. It, it wasn't due to them. It wasn't a, a liability or cost. Okay.
1: I'm glad you clarified that. How often do they get this, this money back? Is that once a year or is that every six months? And what has to happen for that money to come back to someone who's doing self-funded insurance?
2: Yeah, so for a self-funded client, what they're doing is they are taking on the responsibility themselves to pay claims. So in the small group market, we make that easy for them. We even out all of the monthly bills uh, by collecting maximum liability upfront And we put that in a separate bank account, like Roger was saying, to help pay those claims. So not all the time that money gets spent. Sometimes it does, and that's why we have stop-loss insurance, which I'm sure you guys have talked about before Uh in different episodes. Um, But when that money does not get spent, it's got to go back to the client. Um, So that happens at the end of the contract year, plus some extra time for run-out because doctors usually don't submit claims the instant they see that patient. So we have to give extra time for that. And then once that happens, we compile all our reports to show them how we got to this point, go out, schedule that delivery, and then give it to them.
1: And what percentage of your clients, Dan, are getting a refund each year or a claim surplus check back?
2: last well, statistics I saw was a little over half of our groups were getting refund checks back. And I think that represented somewhere in the neighborhood of $600 per member on average.
0: Roger, is that correct? Uh, yeah. The, actually, it's, it's- Growing closer to 700 is over $650 on average. less per details we pulled. Employee hold, covered by per employee the per year, not per every year. month, but obviously. Okay. But but the bottom line, what's really important is that almost every time clients buy our product, it's because it's the best value going in. So they're already getting the best benefits for the best price, and then even then. They're not spending everything that we've quoted in price because they're getting this money back at the end of the year. I've got a group in front of me that I'm looking at that's uh, it's only 17 employees, and they're getting $7,900 back. Collective total back to the owner of the business. Right. The contract is up. They've resolved all their claims. You know, we're through the run out period. There's $7,900 change left in that account for those 17 employees, and you know, they're window and glass installers. And, okay. and so, when you're talking about this company, that's almost $500 ahead in that one. But when I look at the list, I've got a, a building, a builder's contractors at $29,000. Um, and they've got 12 employees and then a handful on some specialty coverage. So, really, 12 employees on traditional coverage, the rest on some preventive only coverage. But you're talking $29,000. That's $2,400 ahead. When you're talking about, when you're translating that just to
1: those employees on their health plan. So that's a huge number and really big savings. Sorry to cut you off. Just so I understand correctly, that $29,000 that the owner gets back, they don't have to keep it into healthcare. They, They can use it for anything they want,
0: correct? That is correct. The only time it would be confined is if the owner puts that money into a trust. Okay. And, we're, and we're not putting that money in trust. We're just depositing it at the administrator's bank account, a bank account for the employer at the administrator's hands so that they can cut checks and release them without waiting each week to get money from the employer, et cetera. But it's not put in a trust. It's just deposited there for payment and processing and convenience more than anything. And that money is there. So the advantage to that is just tremendous because they can use that money any way they need to. Now, most employers are going to use that to help reduce their benefit costs in the following year or the current year they're in because they're getting this money after the end of the year. So it's usually right around the middle of the next year that they're getting the money back because we had to let all the claims run out. But this is just a huge windfall for many
1: employers. So I'm going to step back a little bit because if I'm listening to this and I don't understand this completely, it seems almost impossible because you're telling me that I could get better rates that I could cover my employees and give them more options. And now you're telling me in what, six, what percentage, more than half cases, uh, you're seeing a refund. This sounds like an infomercial that just isn't possible. And I'm waiting for you to say, (laughs) you know, uh, you'll give me a second one for shipping and handling extra.
0: Well, well, here's the deal, Bob. If, If you think this is too good to be true and you don't understand, you've been spending too much time facilitating these talks and not enough time listening.
1: I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to offer you the perspective of someone who comes un- at this cold.
0: I understand. And my, you my... deal with
1: this every day, but to the average person, this sounds hard to believe. And, well, dang, you were telling me something about this as well. What were you saying that you often hear from some of your new clients? Well, we get that
2: actually quite a bit where the clients will say, well, I don't expect to get this money back. You know, we talked okay. about the refund potential. And, I mean, let's face it, we all wholeheartedly expect them to get something back we want them to get something back because that's probably the biggest selling point of what we do. And even though they don't always get it back, we're still going to anticipate that. So when, as Roger said, in the small group market under 50 ish or so employees, uh, those employers are looking at guaranteed savings, even off of maximum liability. Um, We change that a little bit when you move into the large group. A lot of times we will say if the, Self-funded max liability, the worst-case scenario, isn't more than 10% above their fully insured renewal. A lot of times it's more in their best interest to self-fund.
1: Okay. I've got a question from Trevor who's asking, what other industries might this be good for? And I think you guys compiled a list earlier, right?
0: Well, we didn't formally compile the list, but we were just looking at a handful of refunds that we've been scheduling to deliver or just delivered. And we've got a window and glass company, we've got builders maintenance, we've got an IT firm, we've got a janitorial service, we have a trailer company, we have a restaurant group, we have a staffing company. So it's all over the board, Bob, that that we're seeing these kinds of results where we're getting claim savings. And and so back to what you were saying earlier, it, it sounds too good to be true. We have to review, once again, the numbers, right? Every time we look at the numbers, we know that 70% of small employers are paying more in premium than they're getting back in benefits. Okay. We slow know,
1: down and say that, say that more slowly. You say okay, that real quickly and it glosses over.
0: In order for insurance to work, okay, the vast majority of employers pay more in premium than they get in claims benefit. Okay. Because if they didn't, there wouldn't be any money in the pot to pay other claims on the other groups.
1: And this means typically with um,
0: traditional insurance. In, in the traditional world, yes. If you're buying fully insured coverage, you know auto insurance would be the same way, right? There's a vast number of people that pay into premium, never file a claim to cover the claims of those that do. Okay. So in the health insurance world, we know that three or 4% of the population represents over half of the claims. Okay. And if we go to 10% of the population, were over 80% of the claims. And the, and the converse relationship is about 50% of the employee population has little to no claims for medical
1: in a year. But they're still paying the insurance money. But in. they're
0: still paying the insurance money in. So now if you think about that perspective for a moment, and you think about a small employer that's 15 or 20 employees, they're all, they're in a, you know, who knows, let's say drywall contractors, I use as a proverbial all the time, right? You've got 25 year old guys, 27 year old guys, 35 year old guys—they're healthy. Sometimes women. They're carrying drywall. You got women out there doing it as well. You've got everything, but, but generally, if you're able to do that kind of work, you're staying pretty healthy. I, I know the guys you saw putting up that cabana outside—that's work. And so if you can do that Indeed. kind of work, if you can do that kind of work, you're generally going to be staying pretty healthy. And in the IT industry, we find interestingly enough that they're just more cognizant. Of health and well-being and going to the gym and, and their little fitness exercise programs and competitions amongst themselves a lot of cool stuff goes on in that regard so the point is if you think you're one of those healthier groups and even if you don't think you're one of those healthier groups you very well might be healthier than the 30% of the really ugly ones right so when you look at that that's one way to put it <laughs> well when you look at that you, you just have to realize that there's a lot of money leaving a lot of money on the table paying to the big insurance carriers and paying for the ACA for their neighbor instead of getting the best value for them and for their employees and for their employees' families.
1: Okay. So if I'm a small business owner and I've been paying for insurance for my employees and doing the traditional insurance for several years or a number of years, why haven't I heard about this? And what's the next step for me in all this? Well, (laughs)
0: Why you haven't heard of it, I don't know. Uh, I mean, when we talk to small employers, I'm often baffled by the misconceptions and the lack of information about self-funded. And then oftentimes I'll speak to brokers groups, and I'm just as baffled by the lack of real knowledge of the self-funded world. And so that's a perplexing thing. And that's why we do what we do today and other days, just to try and educate and communicate and make sure everybody knows what they're looking at. Because self-funded is probably one of the most untapped advantages for businesses looking at their second largest overhead expense and missing the greatest opportunity to save
1: on that expense. Gang, you work with a lot of businesses and a lot of brokers. Can you shed some light on what you think maybe some of the issues behind this are that are slowing people down from going through this or the things you typically hear?
2: Yeah, it's a a various amount of things. Some of it comes down to the broker not being comfortable with providing that sort of advisement to the client. Um, which is where we come in. We like to be the ones are the experts, the extensions of the desk for that broker to make them look good and make sure they're able to, to do a good job providing this solution.
1: And to win the case, I guess. And to
2: win the case, you know, no matter what it is. You know, we always say that is um, if we
1: show everything, then
2: you're going to win every time. And we're certainly going to get our fair share because of the statistics that Roger was talking about earlier. Um, Some of it does actually, unfortunately, come down to laziness. I was at a conference just recently and talked to two different brokers and both of those brokers quite frankly said, well, it seems like it's too much work for me. And (laughs) is it a lot of work for them? It is a good amount of work, um, but it's worth it because our job and what we do, we go in front of association meetings and talk in front of Capitol Hill and do all the things that we're doing to advocate for our business, we all say that we're going to do everything we can to get the absolute best deal for our clients. And so it doesn't really matter how much work it is. The job, The point is, it's supposed to get done. Um, and I would have loved nothing better than to put a, my phone in the people's face. Could you repeat that so I could put it on Facebook? Yeah. You know? um, so, uh, but no, I'm not that mean. Um, I just stored it as a little nugget. <laughs> Uh, so so there is that. There's certainly complacency. Um, this business has gotten tougher and tougher and busier and busier with more and more things to do with less pay. The ACA
1: requiring more paperwork and more steps in the process. Is that among many
2: other things. Okay. And with overwhelmed broker staff, sometimes they take the path of least resistance. You know, this group is getting a small increase. Uh, they're just going to renew their, you know, low-hanging fruit. Let's just move on to the next one, um, which is which is the real shame because they're the biggest part of the seventy percent of groups that Roger was talking about. Sure, sure, that that are spending more on
1: premium than they are paying in claims. So those are a cute couple things that okay. that come to mind. So so Dan, we've got you here, and we don't get to always talk with you. Tell me the best story that you can tell me about giving back the money to someone. Can you remember? There's gotta be one that just brings a smile to your face. Well, there was there was, probably the one that
2: comes to mind was relatively recently within the past year, a client that did not wanna see us, They, because we loved giving out the refund checks personally, at least when we're able to, like on our plan. Um, and this group's, can't you just mail it to us, you know, just send us the money. No, we need to sit down and talk about this. Um, so they agreed. Uh, and then we went out and had probably an hour and a half long meeting, went through the reports. Um, I showed them some particular things about the uh, telephonic medicine that we use with Teladoc to show them how they could create savings that mm-hmm. way. And it got their wheels turning. And one of the things that happened <laughs> over the course of the next year is they've greatly increased, through campaigning, they've increased their utilization of Teladoc, which has saved them thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, Can you explain to me
1: what Teladoc is for those of us who aren't real familiar with it? Yeah,
2: Teladoc is telephonic medicine. So it's instead of making an appointment, getting in your car, driving off to a doctor or an urgent care center during normal business hours, uh, you get to call in the comfort of your home, office, work site, school, wherever you are at the time. If you've got a phone, you can talk to a doctor. That doctor is able to uh, use technology to diagnose you. So you okay. know whether that be Skyping or Facetiming or whatever the case may be, and then they can prescribe medicine as needed to the pharmacy of your choice. And the way that we do it with our own program is that costs absolutely nothing to the member. Okay. That also means because it's a it's a um, it's a subscription service, it also doesn't generate a claims hit. Okay. So if you think about a, a member going to see a doctor or an urgent care center, for instance, which usually runs 140 bucks a pop. Maybe it's a twenty-dollar copay on the plan. The member is paying twenty dollars. The plan's paying the other hundred and twenty dollars. Right. This costs both of those parties. It costs them nothing. Okay. So it's number one. It's a convenience feature because you don't have to worry about um, you know having to get out to the doctor. Right. At the appropriate time when they're open, scheduling to see them, you can get uh, get your needs taken care of more quickly. Uh, and you know, it's obviously not good for if you've gotten chest pains, you can't call it a, a doctor. Right. Um, if uh, or you're if trying you to slice your
1: hand open working on a cabana.
2: I don't know when that would happen. Um, but uh, <laughs> if, um, you know, if you're trying to manage your diabetes, you can't okay, typically right. do that through telephonic medicine. But 70% of what most people see a doctor for can be handled by a telemedicine service like Teladoc. Cold, flu, allergies, poison ivy, strep okay. throat. Those are the most common things okay. that we'll see on our diagnosis reports. So it's it's something
1: that's certainly worth promoting. Uh, and it's and very, that's very one of the ways that self-funded insurance can actually save a business money is it's not just the self-funding, but it's how you manage the entire suite of healthcare services that could possibly be needed by their employees and dependents.
2: Well, absolutely. But the the major point, because a lot of your fully insured carriers have some sort of telephonic solution there right now. But if I would have went to see that client and they're on a fully insured plan and I wasn't giving them a refund, what incentive would they have to do any of that? Right, right. So that's probably why that one came to mind.
1: Okay. Wow. That's that's a great story. I I like it. And I, I like that we got to talk about Teladoc, too. I wasn't expecting that. Bob, just a quick piece of housekeeping, because I'm not sure that all of
0: our people know how they can pose a question. We didn't go through that today. I'm so sorry. I was so excited Um, to
1: get to talk to
0: Dan. If anyone else out there has a question they want to put on screen, they have a couple of blocks they can do it in. They can either just do it in the chat box by sending a (laughs) message to us, or they can click on the little question mark and type in a question in a box for us there. And we'll be happy to answer your question before we wrap up today. Bob, you mentioned something about the right kind of client. Yes,
1: I did. Thank Uh, you,
2: Dan. I wanted to... (laughs) to were you about to say something?
1: I was going to say exactly
2: that. So please go ahead. Okay, good. Um, So one of the things that when you mentioned that earlier, I was thinking about um, back a long time ago, we used to be really focused on the industry, you know, and we would often tell brokers, look, no offense to any of the doctors or the lawyers that are on this, you know, this particular uh, feed, but um, they tend to not be the best risks. So I tend to tell brokers, let's not create a marketing plan around those now we've self-funded doctors we've self-funded dentists we've self-funded lawyers we've self-funded home health care companies so on and so forth i tend to not think of it in terms of industry so much okay anymore. because the bottom line is the only way you're really going to know is if you go through that risk analysis and get that really detailed information what i would typically say is what we need to look for for self-funded clients comes down to this first of all they need to be relatively financial stable because okay. if they can't aren't financially stable, they can't pay that monthly bill, and that means they can't fund their claims fund, and that means that the plan doesn't run very well. Right. Um, they should have some relatively low turnover. Okay, turnover isn't necessarily a bad thing, but too much turnover means you're turning over the risk all the time, and okay. that can
1: be tough. So, can you give me some numbers that would be too much? Because no, not really. I
2: would I would probably center it more around industries. Okay, where I'd say if you've got just just inherently high turnover all the time. Restaurant groups are a right. good example. Um, now they're also, the the last thing, restaurant groups are t- a good example of, of, of a type of company that isn't great for self-funding because they tend to, and this isn't all the time, I think we've got on our list a restaurant group right now. But they tend not to put a high value on the investment of health benefits as part of their compensation package. Okay. So you really need that company that really centers their compensation package in part around their health plan.
1: So potentially in a competitive field where you're trying to bring in new employees or retain employees and you want to be able to say, not only are we paying you well, but there's this other thing. We have this really great compensation package that includes great benefits.
2: That's certainly the case. However, the restaurant group, that's on that list right there about 40 some employees, Mm -hmm. um, they, Even though the restaurant industry at large doesn't necessarily focus on benefits as part of a compensation package, this restaurant does, and it's something that helps them drive success. So Again, it comes down to each individual company that's out there, but I think those are really the three key elements, financially stable, relatively low turnover, and an emphasis on an investment in benefits as part of their compensation package.
1: Okay, great. So if I'm a small business owner, what's the first step I take? If I heard all this and I've gotten over the hurdle of this is too good to be true, what's that thing I do next to start the ball rolling, gentlemen? Well,
0: for those of you that are small business owners, I, I, I have to say that you need to talk to your broker and demand that they get a full analysis of their group to look at the options of self-funding compared to their fully insured plans. Okay. Too many times they will mention it or ask about it and get a halfway answer from the broker and move on. You have to demand answers. You have to demand knowledge and and put the broker to task and make them do the job. And to the brokers out there, many of you that are on this call are probably already working with us because that's how you know about us and you talk to us, and that's great. But to those brokers that are are new on the call and haven't worked with us in the past, yeah, I know that sounds like harsh talk, but the reality is there's a whole lot of brokers that really aren't doing that job In quoting the full analysis, I spoke to a couple of large agencies and a couple of large broker groups in the last few weeks. And invariably, every single time, they have a large number of clients and a very, very small representation of self-funded in that block. And, you know, when you're in a market where somewhere between 35% and half of your small groups should be self-funded and you've only got three, something's wrong. And, and so I don't know if it's too much work or they're afraid of it or they don't have a, the understanding or if it's any combination of that amongst brokers and apathy. But it really needs to change because there's too much going on out there and there's too much value to be left on the table.
1: What if I talk to my broker? I'm a small business owner. I talk to my broker and he or she says, I've already looked at that. It's not going to work for you. What's my response at that? Because it sounds like I should probably be digging deeper, right? Why? The
0: question is, why won't it work for me?
1: Okay. And get a real
0: answer. Okay. And get a real detailed answer.
1: Not just, I checked it out, don't worry about it, but see the
0: numbers on the... That's correct. And if you're not comfortable then with the answer, excuse me, (coughs) I'm just coughing a little bit. If you're not comfortable then with the answer that you get from your broker, then give us a call. And we'll let you talk to a couple of other brokers that know this side of the business and can make sure you get the right answer. Here's here's what we hear a lot in the broker community. We're out on the calls.
2: Somebody goes out. Oh, We've got self-funded options available. We can show you these self-funded options, but pulls out Mike, shoves in face. You've got to fill out applications. Do you want to do that? What is the client going to say? when you do that. Do you really want to do that? You know, or it's a time. lot of
0: work and you got to do this and you got to do that. And it's really not practical for a group your size. And, and they, they talk themselves out of it and they talk their employers out of it when it's really not the appropriate way to go about it.
1: And you've got clients who have been, Dan, you've got clients who have been yours for a number of years, right? This is not like one year, oh, I hate it. It's not churn and burn. I hated it and away I go, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. self-funded is meant to be a long-term strategy. We might not be able to see long, you know, short-term savings year over year, but if we take a look at long-term savings over the course of five years, you are always going to see that, that bend in that curve downwards. And that's the most important thing. It's the chance to get year over year a better value. It's the chance to get money back, but it's the high probability that your overall costs in a self-funded world are gonna be below market at the end of five years.
0: And, and I will tell you that moving into now the sixth year of this particular generation of project, 86% retention in that whole block. Oh, wow. So some of the groups we wrote back in 2013 when we first started are still in the books. Okay. And here we are five or six years later. And so that's true for 86% of the business we put on the books is still in the
1: books. So we've got some really good numbers, and that doesn't happen if it's not working. Right. And you go back with this what, almost 30 years, so this is not a Johnny Come Lately solution for 2019, and they'll never be back. No,
0: interestingly enough,
1: it's not even new to us. <laughs>
0: it's you know, it's just something we've been doing forever.
1: Well, but the person who's <laughs> listening to this may think it's completely new because they've never heard it before, and it seems like the winds are against finding out what you need to. So I can imagine someone listening to this and going, "This must be one of those new things spawned by the ACA to get around all the rules." And it's going to go away in the next six months or the next presidential election. But I think what I'm hearing is that's not real.
0: Well, not only is it not real, but if you look at the large employer market, you'll you'll be absolutely convinced that that would be a ridiculous statement. Because they've not been affected the same way by the ACA 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but they've been self-funding for years. For many, many years, the large group market has been predominantly self-funded. The vast majority of American employees are covered by a self-funded health plan. So it just makes sense that we have to start looking more closely and say, why? Well, why? Because it generates real value. That's why. And it's time for a lot more small employers to take a look at that direction.
1: Well, I think you've... uh... Demonstrate to me at least that you're not going to charge me separate shipping and handling for a second version of it. So that's a good sign. We probably should wrap up now, but Roger, why don't I know you always like to give people direct contact to you in case they have questions or they want to get more information. So why don't you give them your direct phone number?
0: All right, my direct line is 443 275 7412. That's 443 275 7412 direct line to my desk. Anytime you have any questions, concerns, just feel free to give me a call.
1: And for you participants, you can see on the screen that right now, if you're watching this on the webinar, you can go to that uh, link, which should be showing up down in the chat box shortly, and you can uh, fill that out, and we will send you a a, uh, free cup of coffee or some way to get a free cup of coffee Our thank you for you taking the time today to listen to us, to to chat with us, and so that you can come back next week or the week after with a cup of coffee and learn more about uh, self-funding on the Benefit Roast. And with that, I just...
0: And Dana will probably be sending out in a chat box a real quick response for everybody so that they can find that link in a real easy place to click on it rather than type it in. But if not, up there it is. It's there. So in your chat box, if you click on that... You'll see the link where you can just click on that, fill out the form, and we will get you your $5 coupon so you can have a cup of coffee or whatever you'd like to drink during our next uh, Benefit Roast, and we'll look forward to talking to you then.
1: Great. And until next time, I want to thank Dan Single for coming on. It's always great to hear his voice. He's, uh, he's uh, so much fun to talk to, and it's great to get to talk to him on the air. And Roger, as always, thank you. And we will be back next week to talk more about self-funding. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks,
0: guys. You've been listening to The Benefit Roast, a weekly discussion sponsored by Benefit Indemnity Corporation. Employers in a wide range of fields are using employer-owned health benefits plans to deliver better benefits to their employees at a lower cost. Learn more at BenefitIndemnity.co. That's BenefitIndemnity.co. See you again next week.